You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 118 of the Comic Book Informer podcast coming to you on April 9th, 2013. As usual, I'm your host, Vince, along with Roger. How you doing today, man? I'm tired from reading all these comic books. <laughs> Maybe I can sleep tonight now. <laughs> I don't have to stay up till <laughs> three reading comic books. You know, uh, when the show is starting up, it actually reminded me that uh, for those that aren't aware, uh, there's been a huge amount of new content added to Netflix from the Cartoon Network programming block, including the entirety of Batman Beyond, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited. So uh, if you're a poor, unfortunate soul, like way too many people that I associate with, uh, go watch those. And uh, Batman Brave and the Bold as well is on there. I actually haven't watched that much of that one. You know what? I haven't. But I have enjoyed what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, I haven't watched many of them either because my initial uh, impression of it was that it was for a much younger audience. So we didn't watch it with our kids. But it's funny. I was listening to uh, my wife and I love listening to Kevin Smith's podcast on uh, Batman, Fat Man on um, Batman. And they've talked a lot about that series and interviewed people who were like the voices behind it and worked on it and whatnot. And the more I've heard about it, the more I'm actually dying to sit down and really go through all of them. Because it sounds like some of the, some of the best Batman TV episodes ever to come out in cartoon, of course, were some of the ones that they did on there. So yeah. Supposedly they made Aquaman cool. I'll believe that when I see it. (laughs) But But, like when it first started off, um, it was definitely a little more for like a younger audience. And I think it sort of evolved to be that all ages thing that everybody can appreciate. Because I remember, was it a couple years ago? I don't know if it was you that showed it to me or somebody else that showed it to both of us. I remember the the Birds of Prey song. No, not me. Where like Catwoman, Huntress, and Batgirl, oh, I don't know, some, yeah, yeah, one yeah, other. Yeah, we're, we're singing to Bruce in the club yes, and it was yeah. all like these innuendos and stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, no, I, I am looking forward to seeing that. But now, folks, if you haven't seen, well, if you haven't seen Batman Beyond, shame on you. Um, but the Justice League stuff, start with the the regular one first, and then it kind of morphs into that unlimited one. It, it is absolutely astounding. We've, we've ripped through all of those seasons a couple of times as the kids were growing up just because it was so amazing. Yeah, and it's like I've told people about this. Like, oh, Netflix just added all this awesome stuff. And they're like, I've never seen that. Oh, so, Jeez, Don't yeah. talk to me until you're done. Really? You're not yeah. allowed. That Justice League stuff too, like a, 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 same thing with the Batman Beyond. Some of the best episodes that you'll find that have to do with like comic book or comic adaptations or or uh, uh, of comic books, man, like they, they did some amazing things with some of their, their, their the, the, the character stuff too. Like when you looked at the stuff that they did with Hawkgirl and her relationship with- Oh man, uh, um, Grundy, Bird Nose- no, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jesus, John. Uh, yeah, that like, too. I mean, but the Grundy stuff was great. Yeah, like there was just so many amazing episodes. Definitely watch it, folks. All right. Anyway, on to our discussion for this week. I, I've been wanting to talk about this for, a for about 118 time, yeah. episodes now. <laughs> but it was never, it was always really hard because there's, it, I always thought it as something that would be kind of difficult to just jump into the middle of because you really need 
to, to get the whole breadth of it, to really appreciate everything that they've done on the comic. So I decided, well, you know what? Let's just go back to the beginning. And I'm talking about Invincible from uh, Image Comics. I'm sure you've uh, heard me mention it quite a few times in what we're reading. Uh, started up in 2003 from Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker with Bill Crabtree doing colors. And then at issue, I think it was seven or eight, eight. Um, they transitioned over to Ryan Otley as the regular artist uh, just because of scheduling reasons. It was coming out uh, very, very slowly for those first few issues. And I... I just can't go on enough about how much I've enjoyed this comic. And we're actually covering specifically for this conversation. I wanted to cover the first 13 issues because I felt that's really what you had to get through for the comic to really hit its stride. But uh, you kind of went a little nuts on this, didn't you? Well, okay. (laughs) I had not read any of this. As I said before on the show too, I had never read any of this. And it's kind of hard to jump into a superhero series that's not from the big two. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me on that. It's just that you you really don't know what you're going to be getting yourself into. And the potential for fail is obviously there. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit harder. Something like The Walking Dead or other series that are not superhero related, I find a lot easier to jump into if they're not from the big two. And Maybe it's just me, but I mean, that's just the way I was. So I really wasn't all that interested to to read this. And when I started reading it, the ones that you told me to read, the, the first 13, um, when I started it initially, the right, like the beginning, like the first, I'd say probably two issues. It was good, but it wasn't something that blew me away. Mm-hmm. And it did rely on too many things that we've seen many times before, and there were a few things that they tried to be original with, but a lot of concepts that we're used to. But the thing is, is that you realize after a while that it is really, it's an homage to all the comic book superhero stories you've ever written, plus a parody. And and it does do a lot of things very... <laughs> and it manages to do both at the same time. Exactly. It does. It it it, it manages to really be a, a, a serious, at, at times very serious uh, superhero story and yet also have these moments of parody. Uh, and, and what that does is like when you're looking at a, a comic, especially a superhero story kind of thing, when you're reading it, there, there are so many moments when you think like, this is just a trope that's been done again and again and again. But then when you read it as a parody it's different. It's hard to explain, but it is. And I mean, that's a fine line that you're walking there between being a cliche and being a parody of a cliche. Honestly, and- like looking back at it now, like it reads a lot like that, uh, the, the older volume of Superboy that we've talked about so much. I don't know about that. I don't know. See, because because he's got complete control over this and because Kirkman is an amazing comic book writer, like we've said it for The Walking Dead time and time again, and it's only recently that we've been disappointed with what's going on in the series. But it doesn't change the fact that Kirkman as a writer is a phenomenal comic book writer. So when you're looking at this and it being this, again, this this at times parody of superhero stories, but also just basically so many things that we wish superhero stories were, well, he's doing it because he's got complete control because it can be aimed at a a higher or, or, or an older audience. And because of the strength of his writing, like think about it. One of the things that 
I know I've said time and time and time again that I hate is that, again, there's no permanence in in the big two kind of thing. Well, here, to a certain degree, there is permanence. Yes, a lot of people come back from the dead kind of thing and things like that. But you do also get heroes and villains that are killed. And that's it. They're gone. And because of the strength of his writing, he introduces a whole new cast, new characters, different people coming in here and there that, again, they're so well written that you can care about them or hate them instantly. And they've done then taken over from the others that were killed. So they put that he put that that permanence in there to a certain degree, again, because there's, again, the parody where they just come back as well kind of thing. But there, at least there is some. So you never really kind of know if somebody really is truly going to bite it and that's it, they're gone. And then when they do come back, again, it's that skirting that fine line of being a parody. And when they come back, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. It makes me laugh. It makes me think about other things that have happened, especially when they take jabs. He takes jabs at DC and Marvel. <laughs> so, I mean, it works on so many levels. And just to, to round back to what you were saying, I'm now caught up. That is how good this is, people, okay? <laughs> in the span of, well, in the, 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 the one weekend when you told me to read there, I'd read the 13. And then since last week's episode, I am now caught up. And I've read them all and several of the tie-in kind of things as well. So it's that good. You're a madman. <laughs> well, there is that as well. <laughs> but it's actually interesting how I first came to, to start reading Invincible. It was yeah around 2005 or so. And I was uh, reading a wizard magazine. This is how, this is how long ago it was. And I, at this point, I had known of Kirkman because Walking Dead pretty much came out of the gates as a big hit. I mean, it was still you know not selling you know huge numbers at that point, but it was widely acknowledged that this is something you should be reading. And it was right around that time, early two thousand five, I think, when the big plot twist in issue ten or eleven happened. With you know, we'll get to that. And it was like, oh, this is a comic you should be reading from that same guy doing Walking Dead. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I was thinking, I was like, I remember this from somewhere. Because at the same time as he was writing Invincible, Kirkman was also still working for Marvel. He had done uh, – he was working on Ultimate X-Men at the time and he was also doing the Marvel team-up comic. And I don't even remember what issue it was. I think it was issue 33, somewhere around there. At the end of the issue, Mark gets sucked into a portal into another dimension and then he pops back out at the beginning of the next issue. That's because in between those two issues, he was actually guest starring in an issue of Marvel Team Up with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, that was awesome. Actually, like, was, that, that was my first introduction to the character. And then knowing what I did, I went back and started checking out the trades from, for going back to issue one. Well, the one that you're talking about as well, when you look at that panel, he crashes into the back of Dr. Octopus. Mm -hmm. So you could tell but because of all of the arms. <laughs> and then when he's bouncing back into his dimension, he's got a spider web. Down it's his back. Non copyright infringing. <laughs> yeah. So when I saw that, and then later I saw that there was going to be a team up, it was like, oh, he's going to be Spidey. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was just like, I've read so many crossover things with DC and Marvel that are so bad. This was fun, beginning to end fun. And it's because it was poking so much fun at Marvel and not in a mean way, just kind of it's there. And I thought it was hysterical. 
All right. So into the actual comic itself, like you said, the the first several issues are very, very generic. We meet Mark Grayson, you know, this average teenager whose father just so happens to be, let's just say, a Superman analog. Hey, you know, the, the world's greatest hero, you know, saving lives and this and that. And it's interesting that when they establish it, like, you grow up in this life and it's nothing special. Like they're sitting down at the dinner table talking about, you know, fighting interdimensional aliens. It's like, Oh, I think I'm finally getting my superpowers. That's nice. Pass the potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed those little bits. And we saw, you know, uh, Omni man's origin of, uh, you know, he came from this planet far away and he was part of the world betterment committee. And he, he came to earth to be its protector and ended up falling in love and all these completely generic, you know, superhero and storytelling tropes that play out and you're like, you're okay with it. And like the first part where I was like on the borderline of this is either really goofy or he's onto something was when, uh, Mark met up with the teen team uh, with, Characters with names such as Rexplode, yeah. Adam Eve, and Duplicate. And this, I was like, these are so horrible. It's either terrible or brilliant. And at that point, I hadn't decided yet. Well, the funny part about that is that when you then go back to that, um, the team up when he's there and he's making fun of everybody's names, <laughs> like your, your powers come from a spider. So you call yourself spider man. Isn't that really lazy? <laughs> and then he's like, if you had superpowers, would you call yourself Superman? <laughs> and then you look at the names that he's chosen <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're allowed to poke fun because you're just as bad. <laughs> and throughout this whole thing, you know, Mark is still being a normal teenager and, you know, having to deal with class and girlfriends and all this stuff. And it wasn't until issue five or six, I believe it was, uh, when they brought in the Guardians of the Globe, which is the Invincible Universe's analog to the Justice League. You have, you know, Darkwing, which is their Batman version, which is hilarious yes. because they actually wrote in a city where it's always nighttime. Like they came up with backstories for all these characters, got in, brought in all these guest artists to do these fantastic introductions, except for Aquaman because that that was the most hilarious part. Like after all these, you know, big action scenes and he's just sitting there <laughs> with nothing to do. And I was like, oh man, they're establishing all these great characters. This is going to be really cool seeing Invincible interact with them. And then in the very same issue, they were all dead by the end of it. I thought there was, again, that's at the point where you really get a handle on just how far he's going to go with his parodies. Because it is the Justice League entirely. So when you're seeing um, when you're seeing what's going on, then it's like, okay, now I can really appreciate now what's going to be happening later on. If he's willing to do that with this, there's going to be a lot of fun coming down the pipe. And sure enough, there there was. But yeah, no, I, I, I was laughing, literally out loud laughing when I'm reading. And Aquaman is just a big fish. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> And we we find out at the very end of that issue, they were actually killed by Invincible's father, Omni-Man. So we have that hanging over the next few issues and we see Omni-Man, you know, trying to come with terms and trying to talk to Mark because obviously, you know, this is kind of a big deal. And it was just so interesting seeing that play out because that's when you realize that, okay, Kirkman's definitely playing a bigger game here. And we, we've always seen, you know, we've seen before the the, the super the superhero, the father character, you know, turns evil. The son has to, to, to fight for, you know, his home and his family and all that. But this was taken to an extreme that I really wasn't expecting going into the story. And we see that carried throughout of 
ratcheting up, you know, the action and also the violence to these incredible levels. Yeah. Like when he kills the guardians, like, you know, he doesn't just like blast them with heat beams. No, he, he's ripping off heads, you know, he's punching through people. And I really appreciate that about Invincible because it's over the top and completely like gratuitous, but see, that's the in, thing. A, in, in a cheesy kind of campy fun way. Like, I don't know if I can say how, how fun it is with the guy's intestines being ripped out. See, what I find with it is that it's not gratuitous, but it is excessive. And there's a difference mm-hmm. there. Because that's, that's a good way to word it. Yes. When, when you're looking at these superhero stories, once again, like you're seeing, well, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have freaking swords, but they're not even slicing through people kind of thing. So when you're seeing a lot of the, the, the stuff that's out right now, they have to keep it tamed down so that it's not excessively violent for the younger crowd, of course. But you're always thinking like, no, there would be heads being ripped off if you were looking at something like this. So What would happen if Superman actually punched a dude? <laughs> exactly. So there's, it's, it's realistic so you're you're seeing what would make sense, and I appreciate that, and I respect that, and and so as such, it doesn't feel like it's gratuitous, but it is definitely excessive. Like when you're seeing eyes popping out of heads and being punched out and things like that, it's definitely excessive. But but because of the way the story's told as well, and the fact that we're adults reading it, I like it. It fits. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel campy. Rarely does it ever feel campy. It just feels like, yeah, that's pretty much what would happen. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we get the big confrontation between father and son and uh, Invincible pretty much gets beat the crap beat out of him. Well, you didn't get explained really why. Yeah, I'm getting to this. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm sorry. Because you're talking about them fighting, but you didn't say why. Where we discover that. Omni-Man's Nolan uh, Grayson, his he didn't actually come from the World Betterment Committee. He was actually a member of the World Conquering Committee and that he came to Earth. Basically, he was chosen to just have Earth as his playground for a few hundred years and weaken the the uh, the inhabitants for the eventual invasion of the Viltrumite Empire, either get them to join peacefully or, you know, break down any resistance that they would encounter. And it was a great twist thrown in there, especially because they purposefully recycled the artwork from the original origin story, but with completely different narration, it took on a way, way different tone. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And he finds that out when um, he sees that the the Superman of that, mm. the Guardians of the Globe, the Immortal, was confronting Omni-Man, and Omni-Man takes him out like nothing. So then when you see that there's going to be a fight afterward, this dude is supposed to be the equivalent of kind of like Superman. And Mark's father takes him out like he's made of paper. So then you can appreciate that just how tough a fight this is then going to be for Mark and mm. what he's got ahead of himself going forward. And then when Mark survives the fight, that gives us a greater appreciation for just what he himself is capable of. Yeah. So Omni-Man actually stays his hand, doesn't deliver the killing blow, and then takes off for space, basically leaving Mark left to pick up all the pieces that are left behind. Because it was it was even – the entire thing was broadcast on live TV. So his mom saw the fight between the two of them uh, and found out, you know, 
they, they told her everything that, that had happened where he actually, uh, Nolan actually uses the line, your mother is little more than a pet to me. <laughs> so she's heartbroken. He has to deal with both his mother being devastated and his father, you know, turning on their family, their world, this and that. You have all the greatest heroes are now dead. And basically this is the point in the story where Mark has to step up and really be a true superhero. And that's really what I enjoyed about this first several story arcs, but really it comes together into one larger story arc. That's why I wanted to pick the first 13 issues specifically just to talk about. Yeah. Well, see, the thing too is that Mark is essentially Peter Parker. I mean, he's, it's Mm -hmm. the same morality kind of thing, the same wanting to do good and having the powers come at an early age in the teens kind of thing. I mean, hell, the girlfriends are even Gwen and and MJ, he's got the blonde girlfriend Amber, and then the the other the redhead in uh, in uh, Adam Eve. Um, so there's a lot of parallels there that you see, which are kind of fun. And then losing his father, but in a different way. Like there's so many different parallels that you'll be able to to point to different comics that have done similar things and all that. And yet it it still works in and of itself. Like it is a series now, having read these, I cannot recommend this enough to people. It's not for kids, of course, but uh, for, for listeners, I mean, I seriously cannot recommend this enough. All of them. Go back and get the the series of the anthologies. Yeah, there's so there's, there's some omnibuses out there yeah. that are quite affordable. Yeah. All right. One thing I want to go back and touch on is – and you mentioned this when you were talking about the characters, is just how powerful the supporting cast of Invincible is. All the other heroes and even the villains. Like here in these first few issues, we we got a really good introduction to the Mahler twins. They, you know, they're recurring villains. They're, you know, really smart and yet still powerful. And one of them is a clone, but they don't know which one. <laughs> and that's a constant bit of contention between them. And it leads to, to very entertaining villains as well as entertaining heroes. But with the supporting cast, and I know I mentioned this a few months ago when I was talking about uh, leading up to issue 100 when Mark was depowered and the supporting cast of the comic carried it for about a year with him on the sidelines. And you had enough strong characters still in the comic that overall the story didn't miss a beat. Well, it's that kind of a story too, wherein he's spent enough time with say the guardians or with the, the teen group or with other groups. Um, I, hell even just freaking Alan, Alan, the alien who is Alan is great. Awesome. Alan needs his own series, but he, there's been issues where it's been mainly just him. The, just the entire issue with him and what he's having to go through. And they are just as good as the stuff you read with Mark. And, and that's where, like I, we've said that time and time again, and again, going back to that, that permanence and that you should be willing to kill off your babies, whether it's your heroes or your villains, and then come out with other people that are just as interesting to read. They, they made, he, he's done that with this, where you can have entire issues where, yeah, you're seeing Mark, but you're wondering what's going on with Eve. She's been acting a little weird mm-hmm. and we knew that she was pregnant beforehand. What's going on now? Kind of thing. And you care just as much about those, the, the supporting cast and they, they don't even feel like a supporting cast. You know, it's, they're, they're just as important as Mark in many different ways. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, Kirkman has really built up a large universe around Invincible. Uh, there's been multiple other ongoing comics. There is a Tech Jacket, which was a, a miniseries, which was actually where Invincible debuted. Uh, we had an Astonishing Wolfman series that ran for several years. Brit from uh, the Guardians of the Globe has had various series and miniseries over the years. So this has really turned into science talk. You know, yeah, science, science talk, talk. Yes, the science talk stories are hilarious. They are fantastic. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but that also is, uh, I love whenever science dogs writer Philip Schaff shows up in the comic because you know something completely hilarious is going to happen. That's actually also a really strong commentary on comics as a whole. Like here at the beginning, we they were talking about recycling artwork, which just so happened yes. to happen. To, to occur the issue before they actually recycled artwork <laughs> or uh, God, what was it like issue 96 or whatever when Bulletproof just went nuts and, you know, all that terrible stuff happened. I'm reading it. I was like, this is like the worst story any human being could think of. And then that segued into Philip Schaff talking about how he wrote the most horrible story he could think of for the shock of value. And it happened to be going on at the same time that a lot of stuff like that was going on in mainstream comics. I love it. Yeah. No, no, I agree completely. And before we finish up, uh, one little thing I wanted to point out, because obviously I didn't get this the first time I read these comics, but going back through for the episode, uh, when they're at the uh, the base of the Guardians of the Globe uh, after they've been killed by Omni-Man and they're investigating, trying to figure out who did it. Did you recognize the two detectives that were on the case? Oh, geez, I don't remember now. Yeah, I know you said you don't have it handy. It's Walker and Pilgrim. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, yes. Obviously, it's not them. Walker has an eye patch. Pilgrim yes. has a bionic arm. But it's them. them. Yes. No, I remember <laughs> reading that and laughing. Yes. Because we've seen in Powers so many times having other, not not necessarily characters, but the actual comic writers themselves have shown up. We've seen Brubaker. We've seen uh, Ellis. You know, and various other writers come out. I think we even saw Kirkman at one point himself. Yes. So turning it back around and Kirkman having the Powers characters have make a little cameo was great. Because we also see... A lot of the other image characters show up for little cameos and even more than cameos in the uh, the Invincible War storyline where yeah. multidimensional Invincibles showed up to conquer Earth. And you saw them fighting Spawn, Savage Dragon. I was hoping for a black and white panel, but we didn't quite get that. <laughs> but it was some some really cool stuff that they're doing here with this comic. And I'm very glad that you're now into it. The other thing that I just wanted to, to say as well, one of the things that I like is, as is obvious with The Walking Dead, Kirkman's not afraid to basically write about whatever the hell he wants. It doesn't matter if it's something that is, um, you know, other writers may think hard to write about or, or whatever. But at no point do you feel that, again, that it is really gratuitous. So whereas in other series, you feel like the, especially with Marvel lately, where and in DC too, like they, it feels like they're forcing in gay relationships often. And it's not just there, it's forced in to show that they are politically correct. Whereas here, when you find out that two of the, they, they're actually main characters, you find out at some point that they, they're both gay. It's, it's handled in such a way that it's funny and it's, there, there is even displays of affection and, there's the the whole bit of making fun of, gee, we used to, like, did you look at me when we were changing in the <laughs> shower kind of thing? But it's not gratuitous, and it's not forced down your throat to make you know that they're political. No, it's just, it's in the story. This is people. People are like this. There you go. And it's 
It's great. He tackles abortion and pregnancy and all kinds of things. Cheating on partners. There's there's a lot of things that are covered here that could be deemed to be, you know, this is what's hot right now to talk about or to write about. But no, it's it's done in such a way that it it blends into the story. It's never forced into it. And I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Moving into what we're reading. Uh, oh, and first, just one other thing. Oh, okay. Freaking Otley <laughs> is a freaking beast. They, like, he is actually, uh, Kirkman has said that basically Otley saved the series mm-hmm. from when he joined. And just because his he, he could stick to the schedule and whatnot, and because it was so good. Um, some of the, the later issues you see another artist actually kind of pinch hit every once in a while as well. And I'm not as crazy about him, but I mean, Otley's work, the art in this series is insane. Like some of these two panel spreads, you could spend several minutes looking over them. It's mm-hmm. just the art is amazing in this series. You will never be disappointed in that. Yeah, absolutely. Good, yeah. good, good to bring that up. <laughs> now, can I continue? Yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for what we're reading, uh, first of all, we had Detective Comics. Uh, issue 19 came out, which was the not issue 900 special. <laughs> and they made it perfect. Like they made all these, you know, references to 900. Oh, this is, this this big outbreak started in the 900 block of where, wherever the heck they were in Gotham. <laughs> like it's so hilarious. They wanted to make so many references to 900 without actually referring to this as the 900th issue at any point. Like it, it was so hilarious and stupid, but I actually kind of enjoyed it. All the stuff they did with uh, Man Bat. Uh, it's the first time I've ever really been interested in the character of Man Bat and seeing how they're developing him here in the New 52. It, it's actually really, I don't want to say it, it was really great, but it, it, they took a completely forgettable character and at least made him interesting. It's it's a lot of comic to get through there. There's backups and then the backups to the backups and then the backups have side stories. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, also, Swamp Thing, a uh, new writer took over. And God, I'm a terrible person because I don't have the notes available. But the new writer took over <laughs> for Scott Snyder uh, now that the whole Rot World thing was done with. And took Swamp Thing into you know a different direction, moving away from like the pure like horror aspects that Scott Snyder was writing with, and bringing Swamp Thing in, into more like you know a traditional superhero role. We actually see him in this issue. Uh, he's interacting with the Scarecrow, and you know he's uh, going to be meeting up with Superman in the next issue. But really being creative with Swamp Thing, and that the character himself can do things that none of the other heroes in the DC universe can do, and really building upon that and making him a unique character in in the new 52, which I enjoy. And then finally, Indestructible Hulk with the, the latest issue, starting off a new storyline uh, involving interdimensional time traveling and all kinds of shenanigans with uh, Asgardian, you know, realms and Thor from back in the day, drawn, you know, classic style because they ended up going back in time accidentally as well. But I just wanted to point this out because uh, this uh, particular story arc is illustrated by Walt Simonson, who I've gone on and on and on. He's seriously one of my favorite artists in the history of comics. And I've always said Walt Simonson draws comics the way I want to see them, just larger than life, huge, boisterous. And the coloring on this issue on top of uh, Simonson's work was fantastic. This was just an old style visual comic book, and I loved it. Cool. I actually haven't read that one yet. And it's it's got Thor in it, so we know yeah, how you'll feel. Yeah, but does the Hulk punch him at any point? 
No. Damn it. Right. But he does lift the hammer. Meh. Meh? Meh? Okay. All right. So did you read anything other than Invincible this week? 101 issues of Invincible. <laughs> That's not enough. Plus all the extras. I even read through some of the, uh, there's a couple of really interesting um, extras that you can get. Also one, uh, there's the, like the, uh, what is it? The official, the extra materials one. And then there's also the um, the official handbooks that you can get that are actually really good because they give you uh, a little of the backstory and you find out what was going on between Kirkman and the artists and different things like that. And also like, the, Jesus, one, like they, they detail every single character and everything about them and their origin stories and everything. Again, you, you should, if you're interested in this, pick those up as well. That's all I can give you. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it was a you lot read of you reading. Read, I... <laughs> I will be reading the other stuff and I'll be ready for next week. Okay. Well, uh, as for what's out this week for our new releases from Marvel, oh boy, we have Age of Ultron number five, Alpha Big Time number three, Avengers number nine, Avengers Assemble number 14 AU, Avenging Spider-Man number 19, Fantastic Four number six, Hawkeye number nine, excellent, Thor God of Thunder number seven, Ultimates number 23, Ultron number one AU. Do they really need to put the AU on the actual specific tie-in to... God, guys, you're killing me here. <laughs> Uncanny Avengers number six. Uncanny X-Men number four. Wolverine number two. And the final issue of Extreme X-Men with number 13. I'm actually kind of disappointed that they're not giving them one last issue to their own after the crossover. DC, we have issue 19 for Batgirl, Batman, Batman and Robin, Demon Knights and Suicide Squad. And then from everybody else this week, we have Star Wars number four from Dark Horse, Invincible Universe number one yeah. from Image, which is a new ongoing, uh, with which is uh, following up with all the other characters that we were talking about and what's going on after the events of uh, Invincible 100. Like, like I said, Invincible 100 was a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have Saga number 12 from Image and Walking Dead 109. Uh, brief note on Saga, not going to get into the specifics because details are still emerging. Um, Saga number 12 has actually been banned by yeah. Apple through the Comixology iOS app. So if you would like to read it on your iPad, you can purchase it through the Comixology website and then sync it to your iPad. What the hell? I it, See, now I want to know what the hell. Why? I, I, I'm... Don't really want to get into specifics at this point because, like I said, facts are still emerging. But basically, it, there, there's a whole thing going on with the actual content of the comic. Really? Because after what I read, yeah. <laughs> the start of it, that, it, really? In my eyes, it's no that? different from what we've seen in previous issues. Uh, but in Apple's eyes, it clearly is. And there's also a, a strong undertone here because uh, the two characters in this particular scene happen to be male, which we haven't seen previously. So there's a whole undertone running in here mm. that I really don't want to dive into at this point. Okay. And then also from Valiant Comics, we have Archer and Armstrong number nine. Awesome. So that wraps us up here for a invincible issue of the Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us on comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>